You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, I um, am very grateful to Carolyn for inviting me to do this. And it's such a thrill just to be in this building, in this nave, in this spot. This is actually where I'm married and where my son was baptized and where Miriam Morris channeled Britney Spears. I'm glad to know that y'all still have the rally day skit, and I had the best time speaking with Andrew Pearson with your dean this morning, and it was truly a gift to me just to know how God is continuing to work in and through this church. This is where I spent my 20s, and my time here has shaped how I do ministry anywhere else. And I, um, that's not what I'm here to talk about, but there are a couple, just two things that I do want to share with you on that note. First, at my time here, I learned that one of the greatest gifts that you can give to a person is simply to listen to them, to listen to them without assumptions, without interruption, without stifling. Some of our our typical comfort measures will actually shut a person down. But simply to listen to someone is an extension of grace. The other thing I learned is that the answer to whatever we are dealing with, to whatever situation we find ourselves in, the answer is always the gospel. The thing that we are trying to discern is what particular aspect of the gospel speaks to any situation. The gospel spoke to me in some very particular ways this spring, and that's part of what I want to share with you. I'm going to give you a glimpse of my life during a three-week period this spring, but I want to do this in the larger context of where we all find ourselves right now, in this strange situation of sitting masked and far apart, and feeling like we can't hug, but sometimes doing it anyway. For us as women, this pandemic has affected us more so than men. Women are leaving the workforce at a ratio of 8 to 1 as compared to men. More than half a million women have left the workforce. Now, this does not mean that this is how your life is particularly touched, but I'm willing to bet that your day-to-day life has changed. In my case, I have a 14-year-old son. I have an 11-year-old daughter. My son is back in school this fall. My daughter's school has not resumed other than virtual. She is on her eighth month at home. So this has changed how I operate. The verse that comes to me about these times is from Daniel. And this verse is, it just came into my head this summer. I was at the beach and there was a hurricane coming. It was a minor hurricane, a category one. And I was watching from the condo window down to the ocean where the waves had grown so big and they were so beautiful, gray and white, just crashing and pounding. And I thought how strange it was that just the day before we had been in that very water throwing a football. And the verse that came to me was Daniel 7-2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And I thought to myself, what is 2020 
but a stirring of the sea. Now, I can tell you that this belongs to a larger vision in which four beasts are going to come out of the water, and there is a specific and formal application for this that has already happened. It's not 2020. But I can also tell you that part of why apocalyptic literature is given in symbols is because sometimes these might have more than one application, and also these are given to us so we will have a lens to see how it is that our events on earth are connected to events in the heavenly places. And why do we need to know this? We need to know this because ultimately our help has to come from the outside. Part of what makes this this vision particularly appropriate is that it was describing for that world worldwide suffering, corporate suffering, not individual suffering. So ordinarily, you might have a time of trial or someone close to you, even a group of people, while the rest of the world is going on on the ordinary waves of up and down. Right now, it's the inverse. Most of the world is struggling, even though there are some of us for whom this has been a time of abundance And I would not in anything that I say want to diminish gifts that some of you may have experienced in this time. But I know that we'd all agree that the seas are stirred. For most, this is a time of pain, real pain. So right now, there is a shortage of Zoloft. It began in June. It has continued. Dentists are treating double the number of cracked teeth. You may think you're okay, but you're grinding your teeth at night. Now, we want to know where is God in these stirred up seas? And so to answer this, I want to tell you a little bit more about the seas and what they meant to the original hearers. If if you were a person of the ancient Near East, not just Israel, but all of them, the sea was a place of terror. You couldn't see to the depths. It was the unknown And so for them, the sea was a place of of fear, of destruction, of, of just what they couldn't control. For God, how he relates to the sea, we have an answer to that question in the second verse of the Bible, where we see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And the waters at this time are chaotic, but what does God do? He brings order. He creates. He brings up the dry land and and he puts a boundary for the sea and says, you will go no further. He tames the sea and it was good. And what we see from this point on is that the seas answer to him. At his word, they become a flood of destruction and judgment. At his word, the seas part For Israel to walk through on dry land, when the waves rise up on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus speaks to them and they are still. And when Jesus wants to reveal to his disciples who he is, what does he do? What does he do? Y'all know. (laughs) He walks on water. The sea is literally under his feet. He is the conqueror. 
So for us, the sea is a sign of our fears. For God, the sea is a sign of his power. For the seas to be stirred is for our need for salvation to be stirred. The stirred seas is for our need for salvation to be stirred. What have you found in the churning waters? Maybe that alcohol is a problem. Maybe you're not quite the parent that you thought. The one thing that I really appreciate about this time is that people have been broken into an increased honesty. I'm not a big small talk person. It doesn't come naturally to me. I actually feel very awkward with it. But right now, when you ask people, how are you, you get a real answer. I bumped into a friend at the grocery store recently. I asked about his family. How are y'all? And, and his response, he was very serious. He said, well, you know, we're just all hanging by a thin thread. I could say, yeah, us too. I touched base with a friend that I had not talked to in five years. And usually you talk about what the kids are up to, maybe what you've done with the house or what the next vacation is going to be. And what she had to say was that all of her months at home in the spring had her wondering what her life was really about. It all seemed kind of meaningless. And also, she wasn't sure she had married the right person. We'll find a vaccine for COVID, but that's not going to solve these dilemmas. Needs have risen up to the surface that require far greater answers that we knew we would need than back in March. There are fragilities in our society that have been exposed. And in many respects, this is a good thing. We're finding out that we are dust. We're finding out that we have big problems that need answers. And they do need answers. But what I want to talk about today for us in the church is this. I want to ask this question. What does the gospel say to us when the seas are stirred? What particular, unique word does it offer that you will not find anywhere else? And this brings me to um, what I would like to share, sort of of my own story this spring, how the gospel came to me. If you'll imagine with me back to the start of the pandemic, This was what I call the Pinterest or Instagram phase of COVID tide. Everyone was finding creative ways to stay socially connected. You were learning how to use Zoom. If you had kids, maybe you were doing drive-by birthday parties. You were putting a Bible verse sign in your yard. You were decorating the door for Palm Sunday. I was not able to pull off an Instagram-worthy quarantine. If I had put a verse in my yard, it would have been something from Lamentations. For example, maybe chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Or verse 4. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. That would be good for Holy Week. Or verse 11. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food. The real question is what you would have traded for toilet paper. So in this time, I was not baking bread. I was not planting a garden. 
The pandemic had come to my family like a baseball bat to the knees. It was on March 15th, a Sunday night, that we got word school was canceled for two weeks. Two whole weeks. We did not know what we were going to do. Most of the people in my circle, including me, thought this was a little bit premature. There were hardly any cases in South Carolina. If you did not live or work in a nursing home and you hadn't been to Italy lately, you were fine. No one was social distancing. We were learning the term. We were hearing that term for the first time. It was the next day, on March 16th, that my husband came home from work and said, get the kids inside, no one is going anywhere, I have a fever. And I thought to myself, well, you know, it's a fever virus, these go around, we've had them all winter. He insisted on getting a COVID test. These were still extremely hard to come by. He is in medicine and he still had to pull strings to get one. You can probably guess where this is going. He did turn out to be positive, and then me as well. Neither of us would become dangerously ill. The desolation that I faced came from knowing that I had a contagious and sometimes fatal illness when we had not been taking any of the precautions that we are taking right now. What made this even more real was the night before we got my husband's results, we had learned that my bishop, he lives in a different part of the state, but my bishop, a healthy man in his 50s, had COVID and was on a ventilator. When I heard that, I began physically to shake. And my dread continued through the night into the morning. By the time that phone call finally came, I was on edge. And when we had the news, I was doubled over. I was doubled over with three things that we all know something about. I was doubled over with shame, with guilt, and with anxiety. And what I'd like to do is show you what each one of those things look like specifically for me, so I can then show you how the gospel spoke specifically to each one of those things. You're going to see how neurotic I really am, how prone to magnification and overthinking. This is a thorn in my side, but I'm grateful for it because this is a place where over and over I have seen God's grace, and I hope it will be for your benefit. So first, the shame, the shame. You may say my shame was unwarranted. There was nothing I had done to get this. But the thing about most shame is we feel it for things that are beyond our control. We feel shame over things that happen to us. Making those calls to tell people that we had exposed them to COVID is one of the hardest things that I had done. I knew that they were sanitizing their homes and belongings because of us. I had given gift bags to the kids in my Sunday school class less than a week before, and I knew that they were throwing those out, and I was trying to imagine what the looks were on the faces of the parents and the kids. In all of this, I was so sensitive to what anyone said or didn't say to the slightest tone. Sometimes what is not said is more painful than what is said. There were people who showed extraordinary grace, for which I am very grateful. 
Then the guilt. Now, I've told you that no one in our world was social distancing. What I've not told you is that my husband had been talking about this pandemic for months. He was sitting down with the neighbors and telling them to prepare themselves. He was talking to people about this at parties. He was like an Old Testament prophet that no one wanted to hear. Things were too normal to believe him. We joked about his tinfoil hat. What it meant for me when he was positive, and then me, was that if other people could be forgiven for not social distancing, not us, he does a lot of work in the ICU, maybe, maybe he should have been sleeping in the guest room since January. Maybe our family should have just shut it down and and not gone anywhere once COVID hit Seattle or, or maybe when it hit Atlanta. At what point should we have just stopped? My mind was spinning. And I can look back and say now that, that my self-castigation was over the top. But here's the thing about guilt. You will not always be able to perfectly discern where your true guilt begins and ends. It still needs an answer. It will destroy you. Attached to this guilt was the anxiety. I had anxiety because my husband had asthma. We had anxiety because there were people in our life who were high risk with whom we had been in contact. Some of them had symptoms on the day that we got this news. We entered into a long period of waiting and watching to see how sick the sick would get and who might get sick next. Even for my low-risk friends, they have parents. I did not want to carry the cross of knowing that I was a part of this link in the chain of exposure if anyone were to die. And it was very real because of what was going on with our bishop. I couldn't wipe away that worry. I was in Gethsemane. Now, where did the gospel speak to me in this? I was given some armor very early on, on the day of the news. One of my exposed and slightly at-risk friends gave me Psalm 112, Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. I thought to myself, this sure doesn't describe me. I'm not a victorious Christian. I wish I were that person. But my mind is going to be a house of horrors if I do not fix it on the word of God. So I'm going to memorize this verse and I'm going to say it to myself all day long. Later that day, I found myself driving for my own COVID test. And at that point, they had asked me to come and take one. And I was feeling dread about what the results might be. I didn't want to find out. I didn't want to have it confirmed that I had, in fact, exposed people to this. I I was hoping that that it would come back negative and I could say, it wasn't me after all. If you got it, you know, I'm sorry, don't look here. But I hurt. My body hurt. I was achy. 
I was trying to convince myself it was nerves. I didn't have fever. I was telling everyone, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I was dreading these news, this news. And, and as I drove down Covenant Road, I had this sudden thought, Jesus is not afraid of these test results. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm afraid. Jesus is not afraid. I'm just going to take comfort that he's not afraid. And then I had the real epiphany that this psalm is about Jesus. At every point I fail, he is certain. Let me read it to you one more time. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. So what did this say to my shame? As I'm still driving along, I think to myself, okay, well, the Wheeler name might be gravel in the mouth of a lot of people right now. And that may continue. But his name will be remembered forever. I thought to myself, it's it's very possible that we're spurned. What if we just go on being spurned for forever? Well, if this is the case, there's going to come a day when at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. And in that moment, we are all going to be reconciled together as we bow before the throne. The answer to my shame is the name of Christ. I belong to him. I am him. My guilt. I thought to myself, all right, if the touch of my hands has caused harm, if my attempts to do good have actually brought suffering, if my righteousness is a filthy, COVID-soaked rag, so what? He is the righteous. He is the righteous one. At what point did I begin thinking that goodness somehow lied with me? How had I gone wrong? My anxiety, it did occur to me as I was driving, it occurred to me very strongly I do think my life is about to be turned upside down, and I think the lives of the people around me are about to be turned upside down. But he will not be moved. There's a whole lot that's happened in the past 2,000 years. He has not been moved. The gospel is not just what God has done, It's not just what God is doing, it is what God will do. And we know that he will be triumphant. And there is nothing that I can do that is going to somehow prevent that from happening. And so what that really means is that even my defeats, even my greatest personal defeats, in some way belong to his victory march. Now, as these thoughts are coming to me, 
I'm not going to pretend that my heart was light. My heart was comforted. It was not light. And this is how it would go in the weeks to come. I felt not just my own pain, but the the pain of what was happening in the world around me. I'm, I'm not naturally a very teary person, but I was bursting into tears without warning at the most crazy times, playing games with the kids, and I couldn't control it. And it occurred to me in all of that that these tears were holy tears because we are called to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. And that it actually could be a good thing to put lamentations in the front yard. Imagine what it would be like if you're not a believer, if you're just a cynic, to to walk by a sign that, that puts words to your pain. To be led to a book where you find that, that your, your experience in a broken world is actually validated. There's an explanation for that. And then to find that there is also hope. As Christians, we have grief over the present creation. We have hope in the new creation that has begun and that is coming. Now we're told in the midst of this, do not be afraid. And this one's a lot tougher for me. In those weeks of waiting and watching to see who was going to get sick and, and how sick, I would sometimes have waves of panic that would start at my head and rush to my feet. And when these moments came, I would come right back to this psalm. And what I would say to myself is this. Well, not to myself, to God. I was praying. I would say, Jesus... I am afraid. I am afraid, but your heart is steady. Your heart is firm. You are trusting in the Almighty. And I need for you to be firm and steady and trusting for me. And giving up on my own peace, I would enter into his peace I have heard it said that that a mother holding her newborn baby can, by her own breath, by her own heart rate, regulate those of her infant. And it was a little bit like this. I was bringing my breath into rhythm with Christ because I couldn't control it on my own. We sing on Christ the solid rock I stand. Sometimes we're not standing. Sometimes we are face down. And it's not our posture that matters. It's the rock. It is the rock that will not be moved. So how about for you in these churning seas? I am sure by however these events have hit you, you have had to face shame guilt or anxiety. This is the problem of being human. It hits us one way or another. The only question is how. And and typically, typically we answer shame through achievement. We answer guilt through explanations, not excuses, surely, but explanations. We answer anxiety with control, maybe sometimes manipulation. And we do these things because they're so effective. They actually do work for a time. They're dams and bridges, and they work 
until the storm is just too big. It was five years ago in Colombia where we had three slow-moving rainstorms meet over our city and sit there. I live in, in this you know, nice suburban neighborhood where bad things don't happen. And we woke up on Sunday morning at my house. Fortunately, our house was okay. We were looking at a lake. We were trapped in our neighborhood. I had friends very nearby who had escaped their houses in the night by boat. Some of them having to send their kids on ahead because the waters were rising so fast and space was an issue. What happened from there was the kids being out of school for weeks. It was over a month, I think, before they went every day, full day. We had piles of debris on the street for months. We saw tanks, National Guard tanks, coming down where the children usually play. I think about this, and I look at 2020, and I say 2020 is the year of failed dams. In 2020, the 19 dams that failed in Colombia have failed in the world. That's where we are. And what's going to happen from here is that the world is going to build some new bridges and new dams, and and in various ways we may even be a part of that, But they're not going to prevent the next storm, and they're not going to solve the storms of your heart. The answer to our problems is ultimately a who. As a church, we are waiting and watching for a who, for the Son of Man who enters into the vision, triumphant over the beast and the water. Now, You know whether or not you are really waiting for the who by how you respond to your newsfeed. When we know that we're waiting on the who, we're not going to panic by what we see come. When we're really waiting on the who, we are going to be able to respond to the needs around us patiently, not frantically. We're going to be able to respond with gentleness because we have patience and courage knowing that the solution doesn't lie from within. The solution ultimately is outside. Now I know that that right now, probably at the surface of your heart, what you want as much as anything is, is for the day to come that we can just go to the grocery store without a mask, when we can fill a stadium for the Iron Bowl. We want these things. But ultimately, our hope has to be in something that is far greater. Our hope is the promise that we see in another vision given to us in the book of Revelation. And what do you find there? What you find there is a sea before the throne of God that is so still, it is like glass. It is the crystal sea where we throw our crowns in awe at his work. This is what the gospel gives us that we will not find anywhere else. We're dust. We can accept that. It's okay. Help is on the way. We are waiting for something that is greater, and that is what gives us patience and courage in the present.
Now, last night we, um, we had tables, and, and I threw out a couple of questions that we could just sort of answer in the tables where we sat. We can't do that. So um, what I'm going to do is just read to you quickly the questions that I put before them. And then from there, I am open to any um, questions or just comments that anyone has, or if you would like to answer for the rest of us some of these questions that I'm throwing out, this really could be a blessing to other people. I know it's kind of hard and intimidating to just sort of stand up um, and do that, but, but um, if the Lord so leads, I, I hope you will. So these are the questions that I gave to everyone last night. Number one. What impact have the events of this year had on your work and your relationships? On your work and your relationships. Second, what needs within your own heart have arisen? What needs have you discovered about yourself? And then third... How have you seen God's mercy? How have you seen God's mercy in this past year? Those are the three questions. The impact on your work and relationships, the needs of your own heart, and where have you seen God's mercy? You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.